0: We This is the final word, World Cup Daily, day 23, South Africa and Pakistan in Chennai. Jeff Lemon and Ben Jones, we are in Durham, Shala. You can't see it if you're watching the video because it's dark, but I promise you it's really nice out there. And there are a lot of monkeys. Hopefully we get attacked by
1: monkeys during the show. Ben, please tell us all about the game in Chennai in 30 seconds. Uh, Pakistan win the toss bat first, and contrary to what they've done in this tournament so far, they play with huge intent. They are clearly trying to get 350. They know they need that against South Africa's insane batting lineup. They kind of falter at the start, they recover in the middle, they build themselves a bit of a platform, and then they dive right off it. They could have got 350 if they'd have batted well at the end. They get 270. And then the carnage really starts. We see South Africa come out. They start okay, it's fine, they dribble along. You start to see the nerves come in with the most of them. You see this kind of like choking mentality that we've all spoken about every day of the last 25 years of our lives. Um, And Ed Markram resists that narrative. He gets 90-odd and he's doing okay. No one else has that presence of mind. He holds out with about five overs, six overs to go. with but 21 needed. And uh, suddenly we realise, terrifyingly, we've got a game on. And uh, the, the South African tail scrabble around, hit a few up in the air, muck a few around. Pakistan lose their nerve in the last over with Mohammed Nawaz, where have we seen that before? And... South Africa get over the line and are basically now in the semi-finals, and Pakistan are nowhere near that stage. It was a first good game of the tournament, and it's probably killed the rest of the tournament. That was a good three thirty-second summaries back to back. I reckon that's kind of my trademark in this tournament so far. So.
0: <laughs> okay, so but but we did we had a close game um, and we had we had a nine down game that could also have been a Pakistan win. Entirely on umpire's call. So, what, two o- three overs before the end. Harris Ralph's last over smashes Keshav Maharaj on the pad. Sort of angling towards leg stump. Might be out, might not be out. Umpire on the field says no. Obviously, they send it upstairs. Two reds, one yellow. Not a not a faintly clipping of the leg stump, but a smashing 49% of the leg stump. <laughs> like leg stumps out of the ground if it's actually hitting. And, I, I mean, Pakistan would fairly justly feel hard done by at the, because that is literally they would have won the game if the umpire's decision had been different everybody argues about umpire's call a lot you're not a fan I understand the reason why it exists but it's moments like that where it doesn't seem to work
1: I think the reason why I'm not a fan is just that ultimately judging LBW's by eye is really really hard it's really really difficult we were sat with a little group of us watching it, and half of the group were just like, why, why in the hell have they even reviewed this? Mm. This is nowhere near. And then we watched one replay and we're like, oh, I can see why they reviewed it. The next replay, oh, this is probably out. And all of a sudden we're kind of slightly you know, obnoxiously frustrated that it's not been given out on the field. That's the kind of nonsense that you have to deal with when you are judging where an extremely high speed projectile is going in, first t- in real time. And I can completely see why you know, Umpire School exists. We're not about to have that debate. But I think what this showed is that in the pressure scenarios, when you see Harris Ralph's reaction, you can see why he was appealing as intensely as he was because you know the like the effect that getting the umpire's call has on the rest of not just that ball, not just that game, but the rest of Pakistan's tournament and thus the rest of his and Pakistan players' career. It's it's a horrible little line decision that is gonna go one way or another and it I, I just don't like the way the current system is. It's annoying, but it's
0: it's as it is, yeah. Well it's the 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 maths that have been done about it making the stumps thirty five percent bigger or thirty five percent smaller effectively yeah. um, based on whether the call from the on-field umpire goes one way or the other. So, I mean, Pakistan could be looking at, you know, that their tournament could hinge on that. They could still sort of, in theory, qualify, but it's pretty unlikely it would need New Zealand and or Australia to lose a bunch of games from here on in. If either of those teams win one or two more, it's pretty much done. Uh, but we'll come to that towards the end. So, yeah, they could have won it at nine down. And, and again, it was a story of, I mean, you said Pakistan felt they needed 350. Turns out they didn't and turns out well depending on the surface i guess you often might not against south africa so here's a team that batting first has made what 428 399 311 and 393 does that sound about right, Off about the, right. I could take uh, that. Off the top of the head. And then, uh, but both times they've been chasing. I mean, they lost to the Dutch chasing 240 in, in 43 overs and they just about lost and should have lost tonight because after Markham gets out, who plays so well through the middle, um, he's the one who, like you say, is resisting the narrative. He's not flustered. He he is confident. He is a bit streaky though. The one thing is, is these outside sliced shots over backward point. There are four of them and the fourth of them lands in the hands of a fielder and the other three just clear the fielder. And those are spread out over the course of an innings. But it is, um, there, there's a, an area of risk in his game as he builds up towards that score of 91 that he ends up making um, that he's, he could have got him el- himself out at any point. But it's the rest of his middle order who will come in, make a few and then get out sort of just one at a time, just enough, just <laughs> enough to make you think, OK, this is hoping, this is happening. But it still looks like it should be a fairly routine South African win
1: up until the point that Markram goes. And then after that, suddenly it gets very tight. I think it's one of those things where there have been so few close games in this tournament. As viewers, we're all watching it thinking, how do we experience this? Mm -hmm. I don't really know what my heartbeat's supposed to be doing. Is this easy? Is this hard? Like, we've just not seen these situations arise. And that's only going to translate to players, particularly when it's tail enders who are, you know, they're going to face one or two of those scenarios in their lifetime. And if you put that down to World Cups, it's going to be one. So everyone in that situation is just like, like in, increasingly an intensely and intensely heightened stress situations. And it's just clearly people working at the edge of what is their, their skill set. I think Markham Sinnings was fantastic. And, you know, the way that he's developed as a, a white ball batter in the last few years has been fantastic, specifically the, with the way he's played spin. And I think the part of that has been that kind of like step, hit, slice shot against the spinners where he's trying to just, you know, basically pick the gap through cover. And it is risky. And it's a it's such a risky shot that you can get out on 91 playing it. I think that if South Africa are going to go all the way in this tournament, which right now I think they can, I think they can win this World Cup guys who are in that situation with that level of skill Mm. do just need to maybe take their foot off the accelerator, put their head in the freezer for five minutes and just say, right, I don't need to take this risk. I just need to get us Mm. over the line. 21 runs is not a lot of runs with four wickets remaining. It's a lot of runs with three wickets remaining. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: it it starts to be a lot of runs. Even, what did they need? 11 for the last pair. And that feels like a lot of runs with one wicket remaining. So Shaheen Shafridi, significant tonight, ends up with three for uh, 45, takes wickets at important times in a couple of spells, gets rid of Quintin de Kock gets rid of David Miller, um, and then gets the outside edge from Gerald Coetzee at the point where they're turning the screws towards the end. All of that. So, so basically everybody. So de Kock, Bavuma, Vandersand, der Miller, Jansen all make scores in the twenties, and then find a way to get out at some point. And it's Markram going through. Uh, Klassen's the only one who doesn't make much of a score. Keeps his strike rate intact. I respected that. 12 <laughs> of 10, strike rate of 120. You know, hasn't hasn't suffered in terms of pace. But, yeah, they're going along. Okay, they're 2 for 67. They're 3 for 121. They're 5 for 206. They're 6 for 235. And they need 271. And you're like, well, like, they, they still should get there. And then 7 for 250. Eight for 250, nine for 260. Um, squirrels, you know, squirrels running around <laughs> inside all of the South Africans. And Shamsi is not a convincing player with the bat, I think we could safely say. So he comes to the middle after Engidi is, is brilliantly caught and bowled by Harris Ralph who couldn't have done any more. I mean he's had a rough tournament, 47 off the first three overs when he played Australia, 17 off his first over against Afghanistan. He's been bashed around. Um, he bowls express and sometimes that means you go for heaps, but he he was he was willing to come back and, and actually give it a proper go tonight even after struggling and and you know I thought that was impressive a little expensive again two for 62 but those wickets that he takes at the end give them that opportunity to almost almost pinch the game and he should have really had the the match ceiling wicket you know had you been giving a decision on is
1: that ball going to hit the stumps which yes it was I think Harris Rafe's position in this Pakistan attack is really interesting because you know a month ago when nasim Shah is still fit You're looking at an attack which has got three gun seamers, a couple of interesting spinners, and there's not really a pressure valve release situation. It's 50 overs of really, really good bowling. Whereas now, people are trying to kind of find the cracks in Pakistan's attack, and we've seen that with Ralph. You know, if there's pace on the ball, particularly in this World Cup, actually, like, high pace has gone. I think because the the pitches have maybe been a bit tackier and stuff, people have kind of gone after the high pace. You know, we've seen Lockie Ferguson go for runs. We've seen Mark Wood in particular go for runs. And Ralph has kind of occupied that position for Pakistan. But today it was almost like, it was vain. It was like, you know, death or glory. Just all go in. Just full, full and straight or at the head. Just really just try and create chances. And yeah, he didn't quite get them over the line, as we know. But I think... It was it was a, a template that they can follow yeah. obviously if pakistan are going to do anything in this world cup from now on they just need to keep taking chances yeah. and they need to keep bowling with that kind of ethos of just chances or wickets or runs just nothing else
0: in terms of how they're assembling their team and you look a lot at the stats, the data, the analysis. How do you interpret it? Because they've got... So they bring Muhammad Nawaz back in. Um, they leave out Osama Mir, so they've got a left-arm orthodox spinner for a leg spinner initially. They've got Shadab Khan, the leg spinner, still in the side. They bring in Muhammad Wasim Jr., who's sort of always described as a seam bowling all-rounder rather than an out-and-out quick. He comes in for Hassan Ali and bowls pretty well in the circumstances. And then Shadab Khan bats well, smashes 42, hits some sixes, but then slips over fielding, hits his head and gets subbed out of the game and Osama Mia comes in as the sub to bowl. Uh, but then it, it was very much like a, you know you had an allusion to the India-Pakistan game at the T20 World Cup where Noaz is left to bowl the 20th over because they'd gambled on using their bigger guns earlier. They, they did that again tonight and had to do it again tonight. They had three overs left of Shaheen, used them, picked up the wicket of Kurtzyev, opened up that path into the lower order, almost won the game on that basis and then Nawaz is left with a couple of overs to bowl, having to bowl because they don't have another option. He bowls a couple of poor balls, dragged down, Shamsi clips a single, Maraj clips of four behind square they do it relatively easily in the end but i, I feel sorry for him in a way mama Noah's. he's yeah. al- he's always the cannon fodder who's who gets to do the unpleasant things but he also hasn't you know i i can't say that i recall games for pakistan where he's
1: come out and made a huge impression and done something really helpful i think he balances the side and i think in this particular iteration of pakistan side where they've clearly gone we are not going to make enough runs at the moment if we don't pick enough all-rounders so they've picked Wazim Jr they've picked Shadab they've picked Nawaz that gives them batting depth where they can unleash that top order and just give them all a bit more freedom they're naturally quite conservative players allow the batters to play a bit more expressively and you know potentially top 350 obviously that didn't happen today but you can understand the logic throughout the Shadab injury creates an odd situation where it's almost like an impact player where Shadab's already <laughs> already laid a bat on the game in terms of what uh, how he came came out with the bat and, and did do very well and we, we know his batting in ODIs hasn't been great recently, but in T20 it has been, Um, but his bowling's been really struggling. They get the benefit of having Shadows batting and Osama Mir's bowling Mm. in one game. Mir bowls really well. He he takes key wickets at key times, including the wicket of Markram. So in some ways Pakistan have almost seen this is what can happen if you have the absolute perfect game where you're not even really working with balance. You're basically playing with 12 players and I think to some extent the fact they still didn't win the game sums up the limitations of this side, is that yeah. even if you can manoeuvre guys into different positions and give them different allocations and essentially play with an extra man, the quality is still not quite there if Babar and Rizwan aren't in form, if the openers aren't delivering, and if Nassim's not there. It's yeah. a really, really tricky combination.
0: So the openers don't do much today. Abdul Shafiq out for nine, hooking Imam Haq out for 12. Marco Janssen picks up both of them in the power play, although they were playing shots, they weren't able to actually score that quickly. Babar Azam plays a Classically, Barbara knock 50 even from 65 balls, the kind of thing that he will do time and time again. Uh, Rizwan makes 31 quickly, he is aggressive. Um, you know, slog sweeps, goes after the bowling, but out for thirty one. Gerald Kurtzier gets him caught behind. If Ahmed doesn't get time to make up his slow start this time, twenty one off thirty one. Um and and it's that lower middle order. Sarkil makes fifty two, which is significant. Shut up Khan's forty three. I think I gave him forty two before, so let's give him one more run. Um and even Noah's does a job down the order with twenty four. But they get bowled out in 46 and a half overs, and that's the other bit that's key here. So two seventy one that they set. South Africa, even if the last pair had knocked it around. That should have been to 80, to eighty-five, to 290, and, you know, who knows? I mean, then it's a different game, and South Africa approached the chase in a different way, and we all know um, that uh, past performance does not uh, reliably uh, tell you anything <laughs> about future performance and all the rest of it. If you change one event in the past, it changes the future as well. But um, they, they they fell short on being able to put a more imposing target up. That felt important, and to Brace Shamsi. Coming back into this side, Rabada was notionally rested, fast bowler for spinner. Although you know Bavuma missed out while being ill, and I don't know how much that was. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I'm always a little suspicious of these things, um, rather than actually give us straight information. But Shamsi takes four for, and takes important wickets. Gets Barbera, gets gets wickets caught behind. You know, left-arm wrist spinner is a difficult, unorthodox thing to face. We saw Noor Ahmad the same discipline do really well for Afghanistan on the same pitch the other night, so that might have fed into South Africa's thinking, but uh, what did you make of Shamsi's impact and, and you know,
1: where the South African need to pick him more regularly? I don't think they need to pick him more regularly because I think one of the great virtues that he has is that he doesn't need to play every game. He doesn't need to play on surfaces that don't suit him. He doesn't need to play against teams that don't suit him. Pakistan suit him incredibly well. This year, I think they faced three or four left-arm wrist spinners and they're averaging 12 against them. They can't face it. You know, it's a scarcity value. It's really hard to train against. If you haven't got one, you're not going to face one. And Shamzi on a spinning pitch in Chennai, that's perfect. And I think one of the great assets that South Africa have, you know, today they've arrested Rabada and they've brought in Kurt Sea essentially, um, although he was in the side before, is that they can pick with that final bowler an express quick or a freakish left arm wrist spinner. Things that people don't want to face and that are very attacking weapons. Now, if you're building up pressure with Ngidi and Rabada and Maharaj and Janssen, that fifth bowler is going to get attacked they are going to create chances. Now, if you are on a, a pitch where you can, you know, you use the use the high pace, and that's perfect. And if you're on a pitch like today, where spin comes into it, Shamsi becomes an incredible weapon because he bowls so slowly, and he turns the ball so much both ways. He's a really, really extreme bowler in terms of his his physical attributes. And so I think it's it's a real a real asset to South Africa in terms of selection. That actually when they when they're coming down to these games where pressure is going to build through the early stages, and teams are going to look to release against the lesser bowlers. Their lesser bowlers are still really good and are only ever going to be well suited to conditions and opposition. That's a really, really good place to be in.
0: So, in terms of where this leaves the tournament, this is getting quite interesting now with the permutations. South Africa and India top with five wins basically can't miss, would be, you know, would take something freakish from here. Um, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, England, Netherlands. They're all in a similar position. So, Pakistan have three games to go with four points. The others have four games to go with two points. So, all of them could get to 10 if they sweep the table. I mean, the Dutch, in a way, are maybe the team most likely because they could beat Bangladesh, (laughs) they could beat Afghanistan. And then if they were up and running, and if England have lost their next couple, they could beat England because why not? And then they just have to knock off India, who'll be resting players in the ninth game of the tournament and taking it easy as well. They get themselves up to ten points, and you know maybe they they find themselves um, in there. But you know Bangladesh would have to beat. Pakistan and Australia and Sri Lanka. England would have to beat India and Australia. Um, Afghanistan would have to beat Australia and India as well. Pakistan would have to beat Bangladesh, New Zealand. England, Sri Lanka would have to beat India and New Zealand. Um, So, you know, uh, unlikely that any of those things are going to happen. But as they say, it is all mathematically possible. Nobody's actually eliminated from the tournament yet.
1: Yeah, which isn't great. You know, I, I I think there are a lot of virtues to the 10-team World Cup format. I think that it, it is egalitarian in the sense that it, you know, gives everyone a chance to play everyone. I think I, I'm not averse... Egalitarian except for all the teams that it doesn't let in. Yeah, well, yeah. it's it's egalitarian in a way. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that... It w- Everybody on our billionaire's yacht is equal. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Um, I I think that once you have qualified, which is a difficult process, which is an intense process, which is worth watching and a fantastic tournament, which everyone should also watch. The World Cup qualifiers are fantastic. The 10-team World Cup does have a lot of positives. One of the downsides is that you can end up in a situation like this where three weeks out, there's not a huge amount to play for unless there are a huge amount of upsets. I would say, as uh, Adam and uh, Cam were talking about on the pod last night, that Sri Lanka could still go on a run. And if New Zealand fall off a cliff and play to form, which is, to be honest, reasonable. You know, they're a good side. They're not a great one. You suddenly end up in a situation where that final game is, you know, a de facto quarter final, And I think that would be probably the best case scenario for the tournament from here, from here, given the result we've seen today. Um, And it would be a real... You know, a a, a really pleasant thing that a team like Sri Lanka who have had to, you know, fight injuries and not necessarily being played the most by the top Mm -hmm. tier nations, etc, etc. They're not an associate. They're still a full member. We all still respect them a huge amount, but they are one of the smaller teams. If they could be in the bun fight for a Mm -hmm. quarterfinal place, it'd be a great thing for this World Cup because... Good God, we need some kind of jeopardy from here. Let's
0: go to the final word, Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame where we, we choose our most final word moments of the day. Uh, I I have to come back to the Harris-Ralph catch of Kurtzio because at that point, South Africa should do it, right? They've got a couple of wickets in hand. They've got to get, what, 15 or 11 or whatever it is. And... It's 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 a leading edge, and it's one of those ones you see these all the time. They just pop up and they drop short of the bowler who's on rushing because they they only make it a few meters away from the bat. Harris Ralph is onto it early. Sometimes a fast bowler in there follow through. The heads down. They're not fully aware of what's going on. They take an extra half second to pick up on it. He's onto it straight away. Takes off like talk about short burst acceleration. You know, it's like the T-Rex getting going in Jurassic <laughs> Park or something. Incre- um, lumber's a bit, but like has this gets his incredible momentum towards it. Dives forward, and it's and it's a one-hander in the end. He's so low to the ground. He scoops it with his left hand, wasn't it? Under so. under his body. And picks it up just just an inch or so off from the practice pitch, and then scoops his hand up under his body so he can turn his whole body and roll and land on the shoulder and keep that arm away from the ground so that the ball doesn't jar out. Um, it's a really smart piece of fielding. It, it illustrates why in those conversations that we had over the the English summer about why you can't let the ball touch the ground when you're catching it because if you do it the correct way then you are you run the risk of losing the ball and if you do it the incorrect way then you obviate that risk. That's what he showed. He was aware of that risk. He managed to make sure that that risk didn't apply um, and no one thought that he caught it. We thought he'd dive forward and tried to catch it and failed because obviously you're supposed to fail when you're trying to take a catch like that. The fact that he held on to it, you know, it, it was it was exciting um, and it was, I don't know, it was special.
1: There was a beautiful moment. It was almost like a cartoon where he's kind of caught it and he knows he's caught it yeah. but no. No one else knows he's caught it, and he holds it, and it's just a split second, It's da-da-da-da. and then the music, and he stands up and he goes, yes, I fucking got it, and it's just this beautiful thing, and it's, yeah, I think there's something quite nice about Kurt Sia, high-paced merchant, being done by another high-p- high-paced merchant, yeah. you know, I'm scared of my own weapon kind of thing, but yeah. I, that, that was in Gidi, wasn't it? was the was the, n- oh, the yeah. nick behind. There you yeah. go, there you go. I, I'm making up narratives as sure. I go along, but it was... Genuinely beautiful mm. because it was. I think Harris Rife is a player who's so up and down. Yeah. He completely suits that situation of just yeah. like high drama, high tension. In the high moments, he's come through clutch, mm. very literally, mm. with a wonderful catch. So yeah, very, very, very much a deserving Hall of Famer. We we, we almost went with uh, with Rizwan's Kerry-esque run out. Oh yeah, yeah. Problems. No, tell me about that. Uh, well ingest because rizwan loves to uh slightly take the piss um kind of mimics the carry run out of uh, of bestow in the in the world in the in the ashes i kind of think of it as the test world cup mm. um and <laughs> test world cup. we did have one of those didn't we We have an actual tournament that was basically that yeah but it didn't last a month did it i didn't have to go to all of it um but yeah Markram kind of slightly wanders out of his ground and rizwan throws it throws the throws the stumps down and then Gives everyone the eyes and is like, am I about to cause an international incident? And then just gives a little grin and everyone kind of chillaxes because, good God, we don't need any more stumping drama. We are fully beyond that.
0: It would have been good. You should have done it. Come on. Have some courage, Rizwan. Get into it. Get into it. Like Mitchell Stark with his man cats. Just do it. Just to see what it feels like. You might like it. All right, that's it. Uh, that is enough from us on The Final Word Daily. Day 23 of this World Cup. Jeff Lemon and Ben Jones, if you like what we're doing. Patreon.com slash The Final Word. And make sure you go down to Westfield, London. And Westfield Stratford City over the Christmas season, so you can do some ice skating and you can check out the biggest Christmas tree in Europe. Did you know they have the biggest Christmas tree in, in Europe? I didn't, and I live in
1: London. I will be going and checking it out. Yeah,
0: and you can go ice skating as well. Like living in London in November and December is miserable, miserable.
1: Yeah, uh, thank, thank you, <laughs> thank yeah. you, thank you, for reaffirming that. I'm <laughs> currently in in you know the the Himalayan. I, I, Idil mm. of, uh, of Dharamshala I'm not desperate to get back to no. uh, to London But now I have something to
0: live for Now you know that you can go ice skating Everything will be better Just Google Westfield ice skating You will figure it out As you'll figure out that a uh, daily show means There will be another final word World Cup daily tomorrow We cannot wait to see you then Bye bye my future My current that be the same we've been doing for centuries Sorry if I to empty both this So you know what I meant yeah. I had to go about it